Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to come, um, not just to spend time in this series in 1 Peter, but to hear your word read, um, to hear a song read that is written by you, um, to show us everything that you have done in this world, to show us ways that we can worship you and honor you. And God, I pray that for each of us as we um, go throughout our week, that that psalm will come to our mind, that that psalm will be um, more and more put on our hearts and impressed upon us, that we might honor you and worship you with it. God, I would be uh, remiss this morning to not thank you uh, for this time of worship through song that we could have this morning. Thank you for Steve and for Robin coming and helping us with that. It is something that um, we have been needing, that our souls have been needing, and so we praise you for that. And God, as we step into your word this morning in 1 Peter, uh, God, I need your help. And I come to you in need of communicating clearly what your word has to say in a very difficult to understand passage. And so God, for each of us, I just pray that you will right now clear our hearts, clear our minds, clean out all the cobwebs, and prepare us to read and to hear your word preached. Lord, we love you, and we pray all of this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Well, why don't you turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 18. And if you'll remember, we are in a series in 1 Peter entitled, A Letter to Handpicked Outsiders. And we've said week after week that that is exactly what we are. And so this book is good for us to be reading and studying together as everything that we see in Scripture is. And as we come to this passage in 1 Peter today, it would be really easy, um, in all seriousness, for me to skip over it, okay? Uh, Not because uh, it's, you know, like some words that are just repetitive, and you read them over and over again, and you think, yeah, 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 Peter, I heard that, I'm going to keep moving. It's because these are words that up to this point we haven't heard Peter using, And um, they cause a lot of confusion. Not only do they cause a lot of confusion, but a passage like this in the New Testament talking about Noah, saying some fairly what we might look at from a distance and say crazy things, uh, is prime target for some sort of false teaching, some sort of uh, misrepresentation of God's word to creep into our minds. Okay, and so we want to make sure that as we study this different passage today, that we're taking care with it. 
right? And even when we come to a passage like this, my hope is, my desire is that each of us are learning a little bit about studying our Bibles. That as we approach it, as we ask questions, um, and maybe even at the end, we come away with a couple more questions than we would like to, um, that God is using it in our lives to teach us how to handle his word and how to approach his word with care. So, without further ado, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which, that is, eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So let's just get started. <laughs> we're, what are we talking about in 1 Peter? This is what we're talking about. Readers, that is Peter's original readers and you and I, should be growing in faith and in faithfulness all the time, especially when we or they were suffering. Okay? And we have to always be keeping in mind this idea of suffering, especially going into this passage. It doesn't necessarily seem like it fits, but it's going to. And then there were a couple things at the very beginning that we laid out that um, were going to be Peter's constant focuses. Okay? That would be suffering, that would be hope, and that would be Jesus. And we're going to see all of those things coming to play today. So here's our big idea for week 14. Are you ready? Okay, hold on. Here's our big idea for week 14. Nope, okay. <laughs> we're going to have to work our way through that. And in order to do that, we're going to ask some questions to get started, okay? So instead of a big idea, here are some big questions for week 14, all right? Um, what is going on here? What is going on in this passage? Now, you might, be, you might have heard this passage preached on before. You might have studied it before. Good. And you might be saying, Wade, don't confuse me anymore. I've got it sorted out. And you might read the passage and think, yes, I know all of that. And that's good, okay? Um, however, there are a lot of different interpretations of this passage that we don't get to address all of today but we do get to have maybe a small glimpse into. So here's some more questions. Who are these spirits? Who are these spirits that someone is preaching to, Christ is preaching to? When did Jesus preach to them? Uh, sorry, what did he preach to them? And when did he preach to them? Where did he preach to him? How does baptism fit into all of this? How does baptism save 
And after all of these other questions, where does Jesus' authority fit into this puzzle that we're trying to put together? And then lastly, has Peter gone totally nuts? Okay? (laughs) Um, So many uh, theologians, biblical scholars, blah, 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 they would say that this is probably the most difficult passage in the New Testament to get a good fix on. And after reading all week long, uh, opinion after opinion after opinion in Greek and in Hebrew and languages I don't understand, uh, (laughs) um, I would agree with them, okay? I would agree with them. There's a couple that are in the running, but I would say this is number one, all right? Um, So let's just start off from verse 18. For Christ also suffered. All right, let's go back to last week and a couple weeks before that. Also suffered. So Christ is also suffering. Who else has been suffering? Peter's readers have been suffering, right? And so again, even though he's gone over this time and time again, Peter feels the need, and he should because we need it too, to remind them that Christ also suffered. But why did he suffer? Well, he suffered once for sins. That is, once and for all. He suffered once and for all for your sin and for mine. There's no more need to suffer for sin. There's nothing else that we can do to add to what Christ has done to take away sin. Christ suffered once and for all. And we, how, do we, how do we know that there's nothing else that we can do to add to it? The next words, right? The righteous, that is Christ, for the unrighteous, that is you and me and Peter and Peter's readers, um, that he might bring us to God. And I love that in just those simple seven words, that he might bring us to God, we get a very clear picture of what Peter thinks or how Peter expresses the gospel to people, right? Why did Jesus do all of this? To bring you and me to God. Okay, let's look on the other side of that statement. What, is, what, what can we take away from that? One thing that we can take away from that is that we couldn't get to God ourselves, right? And so again, we have Peter laying this down thick that Jesus is the one that suffered once for all for sins, that it was him, the righteous, suffering for us, the unrighteous, and because we couldn't bring ourselves to God, Christ did it for us. How did he do it? Being put to death in the flesh. And then here's when things start to get a little bit tricky, right? It was all straightforward. We were tracking with Peter, but made alive in the Spirit. And you might say, well, I have no problem with that, right? I mean, he was made alive in the Spirit. Jesus is now in heaven, floating around, ambiguously floating on a cloud next to the fog. No, okay. Um, What do we know about Jesus? When Jesus died and then he was raised by the Father, um, we see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, he was raised by the glory of God or through the glory of God. And then we also see in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, that it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that that was done. But if you'll notice up here, Spirit is not capitalized, right? We're not talking about the Holy Spirit, or else it would say 
made alive by the Holy Spirit, made alive by the Spirit, it says, but made alive in the Spirit. Okay, so what are we talking about now? Because we know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, that he appeared, right, to his followers, that he walked beside them, that he ate food with them, that he prepared food for them, that he served them food, that there were scars on his physical body that they could see. And then we also know that that physical body of Jesus that did all of those things did ascend or go back up into heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. So Jesus' body is physical. What is this spirit that we're talking about here? Um, as we, talked, as we always talk about with the Lord's Supper, which we're going to be taking, taking part in together today, um, it's a spiritual activity, right? The Holy Spirit is involved in our taking of the Lord's Supper together. Um, in the same way, um, when we think about... Uh, the spiritual world around us, right? And again, from maybe some Christian fiction in the past or some other sermons we have heard, we start to think just like invisible and things are, uh, you know, we don't really know what's going on. Actually, we have a pretty good idea about what's going on around us. And we know that there are spiritual forces at work in the world that bear down physical consequences on the world, Okay? So, being made alive in the Spirit, the best way that we can read this part of verse 18 is that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through the spiritual work of the Holy Spirit, was made alive in the spiritual world, if you want to say it like that, okay? It's not the best way to say it, to be honest with you. I have no way of cleaning up my language anymore to make it more clear, except for to say that Jesus is not a spirit, right? Um, he has a physical body. And we're going to touch on that again in just a little bit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay, Peter. All right, Peter. Who are these, who are these spirits? Where is this prison? Um, Maybe let's go ahead and go down to verse 20, and we can start to get some clarification, okay? We can start to see a little bit more clearly what he's talking about in verse 19. Because they, that is the spirits now, right? They formally did not obey, or they were formally disobedient. Okay, so here's the first thing we know. They were formally disobedient, these, these spirits were. Um, when... When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, okay, so we know it was in the days of Noah, but when was God being patient in the days of Noah? Because if you remember like I do, God actually sent a flood to wipe out all but eight people, right? So when is that patience while the ark was being prepared? In which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Okay. So three clarifications, right? The spirits, they formally disobeyed. It was in the days of Noah, and it was when God was patiently not sending a flood 
while Noah and his family were constructing this ark, okay? All right, so we know that much right now. Now, we don't have time to go in through all the interpretations of this passage, okay? But I'll just say it like this. If, you're, if you do math, I don't do math, okay? I actually go on the internet to solve all of my math-related issues. Um, even when Finnegan brings home homework from grade one, I'm thinking to myself, okay, we're in addition and subtraction, but next year, grade two, we're going to start getting some, some multiplication, maybe some number sentences that I don't understand, okay? In the same way, I had read this week one biblical scholar that said, if you take all of the differing views on each of the differing aspects of these few verses, there are collectively 153 different interpretations that you can have on this passage, okay? And there may be 153 out there. I checked his math on the internet, mind you. (laughs) And yes, it was 153 according to the variations that are in the text, okay? Um, So one of the ways that we look at this passage and that has been... uh, thoroughly put into people's minds, and that is, if you will remember the Apostles' Creed, okay? And now, just as an aside, in the Apostles' Creed, it says, Christ descended into hell, okay? Um, That's in one copy of the Apostles' Creed that was taken up by the church a long, long time ago. Um, Otherwise stated, it could be be said the place of the dead. That's a more... um, adequate translation of what's happening there, okay? But because of what was said in the Apostles' Creed and some beliefs that came from uh, a book that is a good book to read, but it's not in our Bibles, it was not inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit, they are not the very words of God, people took from this a couple of different things, that these spirits are the angels that were impregnating women in the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, And that either Jesus was giving these spirits, um, these evil spirits, a second chance at life, or that Jesus was finally declaring to them that, no, victory is mine, it's not yours. Um, Also, with this interpretation, we begin to have issues with Jesus going down into hell. Because when? Right, Because it says in the days of Noah. So did Jesus do this before he became our Savior and Messiah, before he was sacrificed on the cross for us? Was he preaching in that way then? Or was it in between the time, the three days, that he was dead and then made alive again by God? Right, All these interpretations are out there, and they become a lot more complex than that. Um, needless to say, we're going to totally ignore all of that, okay? We're going to totally ignore all of that, and we're going to try to read this in a little bit, I would like to think, more faithful way to the original language and a more faithful way to what we see in front of us this morning, okay? Um, And one thing that we see happening, if you'll remember, let me go back to it real quick, In 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 
Sorry, forgive me. Uh, Chapter 1, starting verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Okay, so who is preaching through the prophets here? Jesus is preaching through the prophets. The Spirit of Christ. Now, this is the Holy Spirit, okay? But this is also uh, the Holy Spirit letting the prophets know, as we read in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, about the suffering of Christ, about Christ's life in different places. Um, So, as we look then at this passage, how did Jesus do this, and how did he do it back in the days of Noah? Because we know that, right? We know that from verse 20, that it was... While God's patience was waiting in the days of Noah. Okay. Um, Here's a couple things that we know about Noah. Um, We know, for instance, that uh, Jesus references Noah twice. Okay. Or in two different gospels. We see it in Matthew. We see it in Luke. And Jesus says it like this in both places. That in just like in Noah's day, people were drinking, they were eating, they were marrying and being married. And then they weren't anymore. And this is a warning coming from Jesus. He's saying that one day, you guys keep on going about your business, but one day that's all going to stop. And where are you going to be then? We also know that Peter references in his second letter, uh, makes a reference to Noah. And uh, we also know uh, in the book of Hebrews that Noah is despite his many issues that we know about from the book of Genesis, uh, that he is labeled as someone that is faithful. And in that, counted righteous because of his faithfulness, not because of his failings, right? Okay. So let's see if we can take this back to where we're supposed to be now, okay? In which he went, that is Christ now, proclaimed to the spirits in prison, uh, maybe we could say it like this. In the same way, the Spirit of Christ proclaimed to those that are now in the prison of hell, through Noah, in the days when the ark was being built, though only eight people were brought safely through the water that was used for judgment. Okay? I think that's the most faithful way that we can read this passage this morning, that it was Jesus preaching, the Spirit of Christ, as it were, preaching through Noah to those that were imprisoned by their sin during the time of Noah's proclamation of the good news of God providing an ark that if people would repent, they could climb on board and go safely through the water with him. For how many years was it? I can't even remember. Like 125 years or something now that it took. Okay, yeah, it took to build the ark, okay? For that long, Noah was preaching that good news, that gospel. And Jesus was doing it through him, okay? Um, And now, to those spirits that were formerly disobedient, but now are in the prison of hell. This is not Jesus descending into hell and preaching the good news to those that already heard it. 
This is not a second chance. It's not a second chance. If it was a second chance, Jesus in Matthew and in Luke wouldn't have said, go about your business, but one day it's all going to end. He would have said, go about your business, one day it's all going to go, it's going to end, but then I'll give you a second chance. Jesus doesn't do that. Okay? He doesn't do that. Okay, let's keep moving here. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, let's just piece this together. Baptism, which corresponds to what now? It corresponds to eight persons being brought safely through the water. Okay, what happened when the flood came, right? Except for eight people, the world died, right? God brought judgment to the world, and everything died, okay? When we go down into the waters of baptism, it is signifying something. It's signifying this good news that Noah preached, that Jesus himself preached, that Peter is preaching now, that we die, right? One day we're going to die, but in fact, when we put our faith in Christ, we die. We die to ourselves. We die to our sin. And then we are raised with Christ, okay? And we're going to see that here in just a minute. Now, does baptism save because it's removing dirt from the body? Okay, that's a little bit cheeky on Peter's part, right? Um, Because you got a bath, does that mean that you're saved? No. Um, This is one of the reasons why, and this is one of the passages that we, as what we call Baptists, would try to say that adults should be baptized, right? And that um, a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ baptize babies. That's a removing of dirt from the body. And most of them that think rightly about God's word are not saying that that saves them. And yet... In the same breath, what good does this removal of dirt from the body do without the clear conscience that God is offering through it? All right, so there's a lot more that we could say about that. We're not going to. um, We see, though, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Peter, and Peter preaching now, and Peter said to them, Repent! And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know this was a special time, right? When uh, at, at the day of Pentecost, and people are getting saved. And here's though what we see now. Peter's saying, baptism now saves you. Right? He sees baptism as an evangelistic act. Okay, the offering of going down into the water, being, uh, being given a clear conscience by God, he sees this as an evangelistic act. He tells us to repent, right? To have the clear conscience and then have that clear conscience confirmed to say that it is a good thing um, when, uh, when Jesus will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, Right? Now, that that happens when we repent of our sins, but baptism then is a symbol, uh, a sign, if you will, of the good news that Jesus has worked out in your lives and in the lives of Peter's original hearers here. Okay, but 
where does this good conscience come from? We talked a lot about conscience last week, and we've talked about it before in chapter 1. But where does this good conscience come from? It's not necessarily coming through the actual act of baptism being dipped in the water. It's coming from or through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to Him? So why does our good conscience come through the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's our hope, right? We see this in chapter 1, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then we see it again in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so here we go. We have hope. Where is all of this hope coming from? It's coming from Jesus. Why can we have all of our hope put in Jesus? Not because of his death simply, but because of his resurrection. Because Jesus has been raised up from the dead, we have a guarantee, we have a seal and a promise that has been given to us that we too, once we have placed our faith in Jesus, we may die before Christ comes back, and yet we will be raised from the dead. And in the same way that Jesus is in a physical body now, we too will be raised into a physical body. Okay. So there's a lot that I've left out Um, There's a lot more that we could go through this morning. I think that what this passage does for us, though, and we're going to see this going into next week, that because of Jesus' resurrection, uh, because of the good news that Jesus preached through Noah, that Jesus himself preached, that Jesus preached to Peter, and now Peter is preaching uh, to us, as it were, um, we can now choose suffering. Why can we choose suffering? Because that sounds like the exact opposite of what we should be choosing, right? We should be choosing a joyous, hope-filled life. And the only way that we are going to have that joy and that hope that is deep and lasting uh, is going to be uh, through choosing the life that Christ has chose for us. And that is through suffering. And even in the midst of our suffering, and even for Peter's readers, or maybe even for us today, if that leads to death, we have the guarantee that choosing suffering is good because it means that we have followed in the pattern of Jesus' life and also means that when we die, we will be raised. And we can say amen to that. One more time. Uh, Before we go into the Lord's Supper, I want to reread this passage, okay? Um, But I'm going to read it maybe in a little bit more of a fuller sense um, in the way in which we've talked about it this morning, just in case I've skipped over anything, just in case I've missed anything. I want to make sure that I'm as clear as I can be. So, because Christ also suffered once to forgive all sins, trading the righteous for the unrighteous, 
But why would he do this? He did this to bring you and me and all who have been waiting on Jesus and who have placed their faith in Jesus to God. God's pursuit of all of his people from all of history ends in Jesus. How did he do that? He suffered by being put to death in the body so that the glory of God could be shown off by his resurrection through the work of the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, the Spirit of Christ proclaimed to those who are now in the prison of hell through Noah in the days while the ark was being built. Though only eight people were brought safely through the water used for judgment. Baptism is like this. And it saves you now, just as the water saved Noah and his family. No, not, it does not remove your sin or make an unrepentant heart turn to God. But for those who have repented, it makes their conscience clear because they have obeyed the command of Jesus to trust and be baptized. And it shows their dying to self and their rising again in Christ, which is promised and sealed with the resurrection of Jesus our Savior. Jesus our Savior, who has gone to be with the Father in his physical body and who reigns righteously over all spiritual beings. And that's where we're going to leave 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22 today. We're going to spend a little bit more time here uh, um, focusing on the text, okay? Uh, But not just focusing on the text. We want to focus on it in a very specific way. Um, Because as baptism is something that Jesus gave to us, uh, a way for us to be obedient, to acknowledge the good work that he has done in our lives, so Jesus also gave us a meal to share together. That is the Lord's Supper. And before we partake of that meal together, um, I just want us to be able to acknowledge our weakness this morning. Okay, uh, You could have had a great week coming in here. You could have had a horrible week coming in here. You could be totally beat down into the earth, um, and you could be on the mountaintop. But either way, whether you're able to willingly admit your weakness or not, that's the place where we need to come to this morning. We need to be reminded too that uh, as we come, this is not a reward for the strong. Okay, This meal is not a reward for the strong. Uh, It is for the weak, okay? And the end of it is not to just strengthen the strong. The end of this meal is to mend. The end is to mend. It is to heal. We we come before God and we come before one another ready to partake. And um, so I'm going to guide us through through to that with some more thoughts and with a prayer. We also come to this meal with all of 1 Peter that we've studied together in our minds, right? We come to this meal knowing that when we eat of this bread and when we drink of this cup, that it is marking us as exiles, as 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 would say, that we are outsiders. 
handpicked by God. And we are saying together that we need the strength that God provides for us. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll take some time and examine our hearts going into this meal. God, we would ask you to give us the joy that only you can provide to us, and that you would strengthen our souls through this meal today. God, we come before you in this meal, um, hiding ourselves beneath, behind the righteousness of your son, Jesus. Remind us in this meal that once and for all, you paid the price for our sin by your body being broken and your blood being spilled out. Remind us, too, of the forever love, the boundless grace, the never-ending compassion that caused you, your Son, to bring us back to you. God, we love you, and as we take the time right now to examine ourselves, God, I, I pray that you would be bringing into our minds those, those areas this week that we have failed. But God, we are so thankful because we come to this table not just to acknowledge that we have failed, but we come to this table because it is a picture of the good news. It is a picture of your grace. We come to this table to be reminded that these places that we have fallen short this week are the places where you shine brightest in our lives. They're the places that your son Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And so God, let us be reminded of that. Let us not just be condemned by our own conscience, but let our conscience be cleared by you this morning. God, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So why don't you just take a couple minutes, uh, and then I'll invite you up in just a little bit to grab a cup and a chunk of bread, and we'll share together. Let me just acknowledge first how great it is to say, while the band plays. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you're not a member with us here at Mountain View, that's fine. You should come up. Uh, if you're a member at another church, you have someone else that uh, shepherds you and uh, guards over your soul along with you, uh, please feel welcome to come up and partake of the meal with us. Um, and whenever you're ready, you can come up and grab the elements, okay? Good? God, we thank you for this bread, and we thank you for this cup, which symbolizes to us your body that was broken for us, um, and your blood that was spilled for us.
God, we love you for bringing us to yourself through your son, Jesus. And we are thankful that as we will chew this bread and as we will drink this juice, um, that in something so simple, you have called us to be obedient to this, um, that we can do something so simple that reminds us, uh, that is a picture of the cross and a proclamation or all of us preaching through something physical. Um, God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for each of us that we will be ever thankful for your grace, that we will be reminded that our sin is covered over, that we are free, we are forgiven, we are acquitted, we are adopted. God, that we may be reminded that the cross is our model for life and that we are called afresh to service and to sacrifice. And God, as we drink this and as we eat this, Lord, we um, await for the day that you will be sharing in this meal with us, a day that we will no longer hunger and that we will no longer thirst, but we will be beside you sharing this meal all the time. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.